I'm John Sterling, and boy, do we have things to talk about. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. You bet we got stuff to talk about. How are you, everybody? My name is Tim Hanlon, and you have stumbled across, again, uh, Good Seats Still Available, our curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. And that voice that you heard uh, is uh, early days of uh, somebody who's uh, now obviously quite legendary uh, in New York sports broadcasting circles. His name is John Sterling, and you know him for... uh, his uh, dulcet tones calling for many years, I think since 1989, if that's not mistaken, uh, New York Yankees broadcasts. And uh, that little clip that you heard, though, was uh, from uh, some of the days prior to uh, what we now know, uh, the future Hall of Fame broadcaster uh, and his uh, his Yankee days uh, still going strong, by the way, as the uh, season gets ready to uh, get underway. Uh, and we wish him and the Yankees well, of course. But before all that Yankee greatness started, uh, John Sterling was uh, a well-known fixture in uh, New York uh, City sports and talk radio. Uh, and that little clip that you heard at the beginning here uh, was from October 19th, 1977 on uh, WMCA radio, AM se- uh, 570, sorry, on your AM dial. Uh, and uh, John hosted probably, I think, maybe one of the true first uh, sports uh, talk call-in shows, not only in New York, but I think in the nation. Uh, and that was actually the uh, the night after uh, the historic uh, New York Yankees World Series victory. That was the uh, the night after that big game when uh, Reggie Jackson had three home runs and uh, an amazing time in New York City uh, sports history, New York City general history, right? A, a tough year, 1977. Uh, with the blackouts and Son of Sam and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the South Bronx, basically ablaze. Uh, but boy, oh boy, what uh, what memories uh, that brings back. But um, uh, we're going to talk to John not only about some of those uh, WMCA days, but also uh, some of the early sports exploits that, uh, uh, that we're interested in this uh, particular little show. Uh, bet you didn't know that John was the uh, first voice and, frankly, the uh, the guy who brought the uh, – uh, the team to the air of the old WHA World Hockey Association, New York Golden Blades. Yeah, they, those games were on WMCA radio, and that was uh, John Sterling's doing. Uh, we get into some of that. We uh, talk about uh, some of his days being the uh, the uh, play-by-play announcer for both uh, the New York Islanders of the uh, National Hockey League. A very interesting story there because uh, without uh, the WHA forming, I don't think the Islanders even would have been formed uh, themselves, so an interesting little circle of history there. But of course, the ABA New York Nets, John Sterling was the uh, announcer for uh, for many of those games with uh, uh, his color color analyst Mike DiTomaso. There's a name from the past. Uh, also into uh, their transition into the NBA is the New Jersey Nets, uh, the gutty gritty New Jersey Nets, and we get into them with uh, uh, memories of folks like uh, VBK, Jan Van Predikoff, and. Uh, Bernard Sky, BB King, and uh, remember all those uh, all those great games. And um, uh, we also, lest we forget too, John was also the voice of the wait for it World Football League New York Stars. Uh, played at the old uh, Downing Stadium in Randall's Island uh, to crowds of hundreds, <laughs> if that. Uh, and uh, we get into uh, some of that with John. Uh, a little bit of the uh, transition into the uh, Charlotte. Uh, relocation of that franchise in the middle of the season. Uh, something we talked about with uh, our guest, uh, previous guest, Upton Bell, uh, who bought that franchise and moved him to Charlotte. Uh, of course, we want to thank Upton for actually connecting us to John and getting us uh, uh, him for uh, this broadcast. Uh, a tip of the old cap to Upton, uh, as always. And um, we get into all that stuff with uh, with John Sterling a couple of years in uh, in Atlanta, as well as uh, the other sort of things that happened uh, along the way to his, uh, of course, now legendary and still going strong career uh, as the New York Yankees play-by-play broadcaster. And we get into all of that great stuff uh, with the wonderful and uh, uh, quite shy, but we, we we encourage him to come out of his shell. John Sterling <laughs> coming up in a, uh, a minute or two. We want to say uh, thank you, of course, though, to uh, one of our great sponsors, and we, uh, we keep adding them uh, uh, by the month, it seems. And our friends at 503 Sports is the one we want to highlight this week. 503 Sports, they fancy themselves as the king of throwbacks. And 
Uh, you'll find them at 503-sports.com. And uh, you want to make sure you use the promo code SEATS uh, for 10% off all of your purchases uh, when you go to 503-sports.com. And you're gonna, what are you going to find there? You're going to find uh, great logoed T-shirts and uh, hoodies and caps uh, and even uh, some throwback uh, handcrafted uh, meticulously. So jerseys uh, of various uh, teams uh, no longer with us or previously incarnated, in particular, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, in uh, the realm of uh, old professional football leagues, including, by the way, the World Football League. Uh, I'm not sure the New York Stars are represented, but uh, you'll see uh, some stuff from the Memphis Southmen there. And I, there might be an old Stars uh, T-shirt in the mix, but uh, not a jersey. But yeah, lest, uh, rest assured that they're absolutely on the list uh, for uh, future uh, creation. And um, again, you want to check them out. It's at 503sports. That's 503-sports. Dot com. Make sure you use the promo code SEATS and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases. That'd be shirts and uh, and uh, uh, hoodies and all those kinds of fun things uh, with great logos and memories uh, of teams no longer with us. And uh, we appreciate uh, our pal Dustin Alameda out in uh, beautiful Portland, Oregon, uh, for uh, throwing some promotional love our way. And uh, we hope you enjoy uh, some of the fine wares from uh, from our friends at 503 Sports. Again, 503-sports.com, promo code SEATS. And please enjoy that discount courtesy of us. And uh, we appreciate you checking them out. We also appreciate you checking out this uh, uh, just fun and uh, uh, amazing conversation with the one, the only, the inimitable New York Yankees broadcaster extraordinaire, future Hall of Famer, if you ask me and many others. Here's John Sterling. I think everybody on the planet knows you, obviously, as the longtime voice of the New York Yankees. Uh, but I, I'm not sure uh, most of America or baseball fans out there know you from your earlier days, uh, cutting your teeth, shall we say, with some uh, forgotten teams, but uh, ones that we like to kind of kind of delve into. And um, I'm wondering, maybe before we sort of get into some of those first stops, maybe you could regale our audience with a little bit of how you even got into broadcasting in the in the first place well i'm very very fortunate um and believe me i have four kids and i worry about them what are they going to do after college they're all about ready to matriculate in in, um, in college um when i was uh i know it's tough to believe this i swear to god it's true when i was like nine or ten or eleven i knew i was going to be a broadcaster i knew i was going on the air so i never had to worry about what i was going to do and i sloughed my way through high school and a little bit of college. And when I finally, uh, I was, I had a great boost. Um, I was going to Columbia general studies and they had a class at NBC given by the WNBC program director. Now I had this inside of me. Uh, this is uh, broadcasting is intrinsic for me. And so uh, when I went to this class, it was given at the studios at WNBC, given by the WNBC program director, two and a half hour class, one night a week. And um, I'm going to try to say this nicely because it sounds terrible, but, you know, I, I was Michael Jordan in that class. I mean, it, this is what I was going to do for a living. And I had been doing it in my head all these years, listening to every disc jockey and every newscaster and every sportscaster. And the guy gave me um, an A plus, and the only A I ever got in school. And um, <laughs> and my kids get great report cards, and um, I did not. And um, I, 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 he said, "You're good enough to go out." How do you go out? Well, you make up a tape or what do you put on the tape? And I finally got a job in a small station, uh, upstate New York. And I've been on the air ever since. Thank God. How did you get, though, into sports in particular? Right. So the radio thing, the disc jockey thing, you know, getting on the air. But but what what kind of got you into sports? When And I guess your first real sports gig was with the old uh, Baltimore Bullets right back in uh, 1970, 71. Right. Well, well, what happened is um, I had I landed a big time talk show at Metro Media in Baltimore, and then it sprung out a couple of years later into a um, an hour talk on, on WJZ TV. 
And it, it, I did the same show that Oprah did later on. She did a little more with it, I might add. <laughs> and um, But anyway, on, I was doing a three-hour radio show and a one-hour TV show, and I kept putting sports on it because that's what I love. And so uh, I got to be very close buddies, you know, Uncle John to his kids with Jim Carvellis, who was a great broadcaster oh, doing sure. the Bullets. And um, and then, you know, finally, I started to get a sports rep. And Jim and I did uh, Colt games before the end of the season because they didn't want to take the baseball guys off baseball. It wouldn't look good for having them do football. And then I started filling in when Jim would go away on basketball. And it led to um, an enormous job for me. Um, at WMCA uh, doing the three-hour sports talk show, I was doing Morgan State football. And um, and then I did the Knicks on their radio network. I was very busy. Boy, did I work. And then uh, a year or two later, MCA got the Nets and Islanders, and I did the Nets and Islanders, and on and on and on. Well, I, I, you know, I'm talking so much, I forgot your question. What was your question? Well, no, I, I, I was I was really kind of curious as to sort of how the sports thing kind of got going, right? And obviously... Well, it, it, I made the talk show in Baltimore a portion of sports. Um, they didn't like me doing it, but uh, that's what I wanted to do. And so that led to a sports rep, and that led to MCA. And from there on in, it's it's been all sports. So okay, so how did how do you slide into then doing play by play stuff, right? Because clearly the the skill set of hosting a talk show, either generally or even around sports, right, is very different than uh, accurately calling the action, say for the Bullets uh, in Baltimore in the early seventies, or uh, some of your first taste in New York uh, when you were working with some of these uh, franchises that we'll touch upon before even the Nets and the uh, and the Islanders. Right. How do you how do you well, get when, that play by play thing going? Well, one thing, um, it's different rhythm, yes, but it's still communicating in the English language. And, you know, frankly, I, I had that ability. It was inside of me. I've been doing it all my life, just wasn't on the air. <laughs> and, and so uh, um, I'll tell you a cute story, and, and then this will kind of lead into it. My first alone play-by-play job, I'll never forget it, the biggest thrill of my life, was a Sunday afternoon game with the Bullets and the Celtics up in Boston. And Carvellis was doing a golf tournament. So he got off the game, and and I got the game. And um, uh, it was I, – I, I'm just telling you this nicely so I don't have to act like humble Howard. Um, <laughs> it was easy. I mean, it came to me easily. I mean, I've been doing it all my life. I've been listening. I could do it. Anyway, uh, Jim gets home after his golf tournament, wherever that was, and he went to his wife, Lori. Now, remember, I'm Uncle John to their kids. I mean, I'm, we're really close. And so Carvella says uh, to Lori, well, how did John do? And she said, well, I thought he did great. Well, what did he sound like? And she said, well, he, he kind of sounded like you. <laughs> and he said, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> and... um so I was away, and I never thought of it after that. I mean, I, I did it. I'll, I'll never forget that day, waking up in the hotel in Boston, getting myself together, listening to music, which I always do, and going to the Boston Garden and doing the game. And that was for me. And uh, thank God it's been that way for um, – I'm going to try to do this in my mind quickly. It, it, it's been that way – for you know, almost fifty years. Well, it's a gift, right? To to know really what you want to do and to be able to focus and orient yourself and have the confidence, frankly, to to step up and do it. And and I think that's arguably one of the reasons why you've been such a, an indelible voice with uh, things like baseball, certainly in the Yankees for so many years. Uh, it's just very curious to sort of hear the various stories of how people either luck into or find their way right. into or or determine their way through into. Right. Into the, right. the booth. Yeah, it's a very tough competitive business, and it is not uh, arithmetic, you know, one plus one plus one. It, you jump all over the place, and I have been um, unbelievably fortunate 
you know, starting then, um, I got Morgan State before I left Baltimore. Uh, that's that's a predominantly black school in Baltimore. And um, so I carried that with me to New York. And all of a sudden, I'm doing this talk show. I'm doing the, the New York Raiders of the WHA. More on that later, of yes, course. Yes, Um I'm doing the, the Knicks on their radio network, taking vacation days to leave my show to do that. And then, then the Nets and Islanders and the talk show, and then the Nets as a simulcast. Um, and one year with Enterprise Radio doing their lead talk show and the Washington Bullets on TV. And one year later, uh, Enterprise went down in financial flames. And uh, <laughs> and I went to Atlanta, um, all luck, just uh, the same guy hired all my friends. And so I went down to Atlanta, did a talk show for a year and the, and the Hawks and then the Hawks and Braves and then the Yankees. And my goodness. And this is my 31st year with the Yanks. Now, I know you want to talk about teams that flamed out. In the middle in the 70s, I did the WFL. I did the WHA. I did games in the ABA that were stopped right away from a contract dispute. So um, I, I, you know, kind of paid my dues scratching around till I got all these good jobs. Well, and I, I don't know any broadcaster, frankly, worth his his or her salt that, that doesn't or hasn't, right? And I would argue even in that generation, right, uh, it's and it's still today, right? It's a it's a not only it's a is it a peripatetic uh, calling, but it's also one where uh, multiple jobs uh, is uh, and continues to be kind of the uh, the the rule, right? To not right. only against me, but to keep your name and your voice and your your chops uh, up to speed for for all the various opportunities that come and sometimes, frankly, go. Yeah, it's um, a very odd, different, unique business, without question. All right. Well, let's unpack a few things. So when you went to WMCA in New York, right, did you was the uh, uh, was sports broadcasting beyond the talk show component of of MCA? Was that already a known factor for you or did, was that just a, hey, I'm now in New York and I'm going to expand my wings beyond the Morgan State gig every you know fall? Well, um, uh, MCA was um the most laissez-faire station I've ever worked at. That won't happen again. <laughs> and I went to my program director, a guy named Ken Fairchild, and I said, you know, there's a new hockey team in town, and I'd love to get them on the air. What do you think? And he said, well, why don't you go down there and make a deal? Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that happening today? I mean, how, how ridiculous. And so I went down there to their offices, across the street from the garden in this grungy hotel, and um, I made a deal and we made a 50-50 deal, you know, splitting up costs and um, and the monies from advertisers. And um, that allowed me to do hockey. I wanted to do hockey. And it was that simple. I mean, it could never happen again today. And um, and this was this was this, this is, was the Raiders franchise of the World Hockey Association, correct? Yes. And uh, they gave the franchise to people who didn't have the money, which was dumb. And I don't think it was two weeks into the season. We were in Quebec, Quebec. And uh, we got on the bus after the game. And the PR director, a guy named um, Herb Elk, um, got on the bus. And before we left, he he had a speech. And the speech was, (laughs) we've run out of money. And the league has taken over the team. Everyone will get paid, which is all anyone cared about. So um, then in the second year, people bought the team and took it away from uh, New York and brought it down to Cherry Hill. And that was the end of my WHA hockey. But I, if you said to me, did you love doing it? Oh, my God, did I love doing it? It was so much fun. And, um, you know, I'm building a sports rep. Now I'm doing football hockey and the talk show in New York. I mean, that's three hour talk show every night of the week. And, um, and it went from there to then the Nets and Islanders and, um, Oh, excuse me. I was not just doing football and hockey. I was doing the Knicks on their radio network 
Frank Messer was doing the games and he'd leave early to go down to Florida. And uh, I picked up for him. So, uh, you know, you, you couldn't do a lot more work than I did. And so that was the WHA. You want me to t- tell you about the WFL? Yeah, sure. Before we get there, though, it's ironic, right? Because uh, having, you know, your taste with the with the Raiders, and I guess they were renamed the Golden Blades that next year, and, and, and it kind of right. had to be odd, though, playing uh, the, the calling games in, in Madison Square Garden uh, on maybe off days or, or less, shall yes. we say, less than desirable days that the Rangers and or the Knicks weren't using. Right. We, we did a lot of Sunday afternoons and all. I'll tell you why I love the WHA. You could be down by five goals and come back and win. Usually when leagues begin, they, they can't quite get the defense. Offense you can get. And so um, I, the games were so much fun to do, my God. Yeah, it's also ironic, too, because you wound up becoming uh, the uh, the voice for much of the 1970s for the team, arguably, that came into uh, being because of the WHA's arrival, the New York Islanders. Right. I think it was right. a, a rel- I want to say relatively hastily. Uh, created franchise, but obviously it was uh, hastened or quickened uh, into being because of the WHA's arrival and their desire to put a team in the New York metro area. Um, ha- did that uh, Blades experience uh, have any direct relationship to you getting the Islanders gig, or was that just because you had a whole lot of heat doing so many different things in the city? No, I, I what happened is the, the games went to MCA. They took the games, the Nets and Islanders, as a package. And so I started doing them because I was, quote unquote, the sports director of WMCA. Sports director of WMCA meant I ordered myself around. <laughs> and so so uh, I did the Nets and Islanders until they split and I had to choose one of the other. I chose the Nets. My best buddy was coaching the team, Kevin Lockery. So it was very easy choice to make. And um, like that, in the middle of all this, did come the WFL. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I, I'm I'm uncertain as to whether you called games for the New York Stars out on Downing Stadium there on Randall's Island or and or the Charlotte Hornets or both or both. neither. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. Well the first year I did the the games on WMCA. The reason I'm mentioning this is because it's such a wacky story. Um I did the games with the next a jet running back, a great jet running back, Matt Snell. And um, we did the games at Downing Stadium. Um, at Downing Stadium, the lights were terrible. Um, they were – players obviously jammed the teams. You didn't know they were. And someone at MCA had forgotten to put in a line. So the first game we did, the opening game at Downing Stadium – the New York stars against somebody. Well, I did it on the telephone <laughs> and I passed the phone back and forth to Matt and he was fine. And we did this game. We like made up a game. All right, stars first and goal. The one they've been working on this all week. They have some problems inside the five at Jacksonville. Here is the fake by Sherman bootleg. Touchdown stars. Beautiful bootleg by Tommy Sherman. The fake to Rich is going right. Sherman bootleg at left. And looking like, um, who was the famous bootlegger uh, in football? I mean, Frank Calvert. And a touchdown with the Stars at 7-3. Well, I think they were all looking for them to run off tackle. Glad you made a good run back up there at the start of that drive. And uh, I think he got that defense to lean in, and uh, they faked that off tackle play to him. And as you said, Sherman rolled out. He was all by himself, not even the linebacker stayed home. All right, here comes the action point. That was a 60-yard star drive in six plays, at least 7-3. The action uh, point from the two and a half. Sherman, to give to Glasgow. Josh, got the action point. And the Stars lead it 8-3. Glasgow cutting left, saw an opening, and slid through. Got the action point. So there's a timeout on the field. Where's the score? The Stars 8, Birmingham 3. More Stars football in just 60 seconds. I didn't have much faith in the World Football League. Uh, continuing. Was that uh, the right thing? Yeah, the World League, yeah. And um, now the next year, so the stars vanished. They still owe me money. No, wait, wait, hold on. You, you want to hear it? Yeah, I'll give you, you, that's what I want to hear, of course. Um, one game, they weren't doing it on radio, they were going to do it on TV, and I did the game with a buddy of mine, Sal Marciano, it was out in Portland, and this is a great story. I'd forgotten about it. You just triggered my mind. 
my weak little mind. Um, we fly out to Portland and we do the game and the game was going to go on channel nine after the Mets game. The Mets were playing the Cardinals at, at Shea stadium. And so when Sal and I left the building after the game, and we're going to go out and the, um, producer, I guess, I can't think of the name of the guy, but uh, the producer said, um, the, the Met game is an extra innings. Our game hasn't gone on yet. And we laughed about it. We thought he was kidding, first of all, but we laughed about it. We went out. Now, the next day, we're flying back to New York. And we find out that last night, the Mets game went 25 innings against the Cards. The game never went on the air. And they were going to show it the next night. So uh, um, we flew back. It was the weirdest situation. We had broadcast a game that wouldn't go on the air for another day. <laughs> and and uh, um, that's what crazy stories from the WHA. And um, then, uh, if I remember correctly, the team just quit. They just stopped the, the stars from playing. Or maybe they move somewhere. This is near the end of the year. That crazy? Yeah. Well, I think it actually moves sort of near the end of the season. It actually kind of. I mean, because I know there was like, for example, the uh, the the. I think the actual home game that uh, followed that uh, that Portland uh, experience. I think uh, only played in front of like forty two hundred fans uh, on a Tuesday night in September. So uh, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> there might, might have been people who didn't see that game either. So um, the next year. It's tough for me to put this together. The, the, the next year, Upton had a team in Charlotte, and he wanted me to do the games, and of course I wanted to do them, so I'd have to fly out to do the games, and then we we did a game in Southern California at um, the Anaheim Stadium, the Angel Stadium, and um, we weren't going to go on. They were going to go on to Hawaii. <laughs> so funny. And the league ended. Bang, boom, goodbye, and that ended that league. So um, and, you know, I didn't tell you this, uh, in the late 60s or 70, um, I agreed to do play-by-play for the Washington team in the ABA. And I was doing the game. Rick Barry was injured, so he did the color. We've been friends ever since. We've been friends a long time. Tennis partners, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, uh, but they didn't make a deal. The, the team didn't make a deal with this TV station because they were going to move to Virginia, which they did. This is the Washington. Caps, and so, right. Yeah. And so I did a couple of games, loved it. Oh, I loved it. And it was taken away from me. That's it. No TV contract, no more games. So, you know, um, the thing you can take out of this is, as I say, it's not arithmetic. You know, you go from here to there, up, down, in, out, uh, and um, and you hope you finally land somewhere. And I, I have because uh, in the seventies I was in New York, in the eighties I was in Atlanta. And this is going to be my 31st year with the Yanks. So if you said to me, John, do you think you're very fortunate? Boy, do I think I'm fortunate. I mean, I've had nothing but great jobs for like 55 years. <laughs> so I'm very, very fortunate. All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind, uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including 
uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder that is the uh, there was the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball, but obviously the uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball. And it remains to this day, uh, perhaps uh, one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johan Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johan Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, great legendary years at club play as well as national team play uh, for the Dutch team, as well as for our audience, maybe a little bit of interest, uh, his journeys in the North American Soccer League in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, Washington Diplomats uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Aztecs. And of course, if you're into football, uh, there's probably no better book, especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the NFL with uh, the book called NFL Football, A History of America's New National Pastime. It is written by Richard Crapeau and narrated by Marlon May. That, too, uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate your doing so at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it any time. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. Audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And now back to our conversation. Let's also talk about that about the Nets, right? Because the Nets are their own sort of interesting, crazy storyline, and arguably still crazy in, in some respects, given you know their 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 now tenancy in, in, in Brooklyn. But you you were so in MCA, the Nets were still very much in the American Basketball Association, right? So this was still uh, Long Island, right, in the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, but so give me a, give me a sense of sort of the ABA in your mind's eye. The ABA was like family. Um, we played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the most part. Uh, there was no one in the Coliseum to see the great Julia serving. The, 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 when I was there, the, the Nets won two out of three um, ABA championships. The last year, the ABA championship. The last year, the ABA. And they we went into the NBA. And... Um, we didn't have any money at all. Roy Bow was um, at both teams and was jockeying back and forth. I know with the Islanders in the last year, we kept changing hotels all the time. I think they had trouble paying their bills. Um, but it was a great joy. It was like family. And the ABA had been told, you know, like some horrible parents do to their kids, that you're fat, you're lazy, you're stupid. And you get told enough, you start to believe it. And the ABA never believed uh, how great they were. Um, the players, the minute that the league ended and the four teams went into the NBA, the players all were all-stars, phenomenal players. The coaches were phenomenal. Kevin Lockery and Hubie Brown and Al Bianchi and uh, Larry Brown. I mean, uh, it was a great league. It didn't know it because it had been told by the NBA that it sucked, but um, it didn't. And the proof was in the pudding when the ABA merged with the NBA. And as far as the Islanders are concerned, they were a success. Every year I was there, they made at least the semis. And, um, and then I had to choose between the two. But I'll tell you a cute story. My final year with the Islanders, we finally finished first in the East, beating Philadelphia. And we had a tremendous party in Boston, which is the site of the final regular season game. And the party went on and on. And when it was closing time, and the cops came in, they closed the door, and they partied. <laughs> and I went over to Bill Torrey, the late Bill Torrey, terrific guy. And I said to him, Hey, Bill, I said, what, what, what chance does this party have of being paid? <laughs> and he said, 
Oh, about 50-50. <laughs> so they, they were terrific days. Very, it was very different. Broadcasters were much closer to the team and the players than they are now. They're, they're being held off, you know, by whatever. And uh, But then you were really part of it, and it was great fun. And uh, so those are some of my experiences. Well, when you calling those games for those gutty, gritty New Jersey Nets, I remember the uh, the, the right. dusty tones of you calling those games with Mike DiTomaso, uh vividly. So, uh, did you were you certain during those ABA days, or how confident did you feel that this would be one of the teams that would make the leap into the NBA? And then, how about the whole New Jersey sort of thing? Because that you know the old Rutgers Athletic Center and the new arena and all that kind of stuff. It seems like there was still a lot of uncertainty, even if. Even they were able to make uh, the jump into the NBA, Sons won Julius Irving. Well, you certainly hit the the old proverbial nail on the proverbial head. Um, I don't personally, as a human being, I'm very optimistic. I am really Oscar Hammerstein's cockeyed optimist. So I never really worried about the future. You know, give me the games this year and then we'll see what happens. Um, Yeah, I thought that the Nets would go in. And, um, but they ruined themselves. It was a $3 million price to get into the NBA. And, um, and Roy Bo didn't have it. And he sold Julius Serving and got the money. But then, and and then Tiny Archibald had come over in a deal in the offseason. Brian Taylor left and John Williamson left and all. And, um, um, Tiny, than tore his Achilles. So now they're without Dr. J and Tiny Archibald. And, you know, they had an awful team. And um, we played one year in the Coliseum, and then we went to Jersey to the rack, as you say, waiting to get into the new building, and we never made it. And um, I forget where where we are here. See, I was moving along. Um, uh, I had one year that... I love beyond any others at enterprise. We had like a hundred young guys and gals and we just, uh, they, they were too, they tried to do too much. They did two five minute sports cast. It was going to take a five minute sports cast from enterprise. And, um, but we, we had the talk, the talk thing went okay. Anyway, they didn't have any money either. And, and they, they, uh, they, they ran out of money by the summer. We began January first. <laughs> and, and for those and, but, those following along at home, this is the uh, this is the, uh, uh, the 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 white hot comet that was for uh, what maybe ten months. The Enterprise Radio Network, which maybe you want to explain, actually, it does have a little bit of uh, a tie-in to the original ESPN, right? Because this was uh, sure Rasmussen and friends, right? Who arguably helped start the sports uh, radio kind of uh, genre that we know today, really. Yeah, they helped start ESPN, the Rasmussens, and then they went to the satellite-based network in uh, Avon, Connecticut. We had beautiful studios, beautiful everything, but they just ran out of money. And so we kidded and called it, um, you know, it was Enterprise Radio, the sports network. So we made it Enterprise Radio the Broke Network. Let's talk about sports. Sports of yesterday, now, and days to come. All sorts of sports for all kinds of listeners. Enterprise Radio, the sports network, has plenty of talk 91 hours a week with well-known hosts and celebrity guests. You can converse about this and that by simply calling an 800 toll-free number. Get your share of sports talk. If you want to know about, I'm going to give you this story only to emphasize how Dom Fortune figures into all this. A guy named Bob Wessler became president of CBS in the 70s. And sooner or later, you know, all presidents get fired. And so he got fired and he landed a great job. Ted Turner was just beginning with all of his networks in Atlanta and he needed a pro and he hired Bob Wessler and Bob Wessler decided to bring in people 
and he brought in Kevin Lockery to coach the basketball team. He brought in Joe Torrey to manage the baseball team. And my best friend, my best, 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 he's passed away, Mike Faraday, landed the job as general manager of WSB, AM, and FM, a sleeping giant, 50,000 watts clear channel. And so when Enterprise went down, Faraday wanted me to come down and do a sports talk show. But I wasn't going to go without play-by-play. And so Wessler got involved, and he made Ted Turner take me to, to do basketball. You know, second man to Skip Carey. And um, that's why I went to Atlanta. And then uh, I'm doing most of the Hawk games. And and then next year, Skip just quit the Hawks to stay with the Braves. He had a young kid. And and so I'm now doing the Hawks and the Braves. I leave my talk show at SB, and I carry that up to the Yankees. So can you imagine? That's very interesting. So let me give me a sense, though, of before we get into, I guess we'll sort of round third base here and get to the Yankees story. But um, how do you – so of the sports that you're doing, and you're, you're doing everything, right? It seems like you're doing – you know, you're doing talk and you're doing uh, lead-ins, you're doing play-by-play. I suspect you're doing a little uh, uh, even analysis, uh, depending on uh, if you're running the show solo. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're you're basically a jack of all yes. trades when it comes to broadcasting games, et cetera. Is there any sport or team that you liked doing more than than others? Or like, did, when, did you, when did you know that baseball would be your sort of ultimate, you know, a uh, future capstone or, you know, or did you not care? Uh, what game and what team and what league you were sort of doing your thing in? Oh, no. I Oh, no. I wanted to do baseball. I had done a few games, but only a few. And um, when I got the Atlanta job the next year, everyone said, you're going to be doing the Braves. And I didn't count on it until it happened, but it happened in 83. And um, I had always wanted to do baseball. I mean, that's quote unquote, the big radio sport. And, um, so when I finally got it, I was in seventh heaven. But if you say to me, which did you like better? I like them all. I don't have that problem. I really don't have that problem. You know, in basketball, then, it's different now. In basketball, then, you were doing radio. You were right next to the bench. I was part of the team. And Mike Fratello was so great to me. He said, uh, he'd tell people, oh, John's like one of the staff. Because you know, you're you're traveling together. You're You're... You're sitting together. You could hear everything going on. You heard all the stuff going on, the stuff. And um, now they take radio and they put it up in the in the balcony, and they're not even part of the game. But uh, then you were very much part of it. So, um, you know, you can't do everything. So I was doing – when I got to Atlanta, then I was doing baseball and basketball. And um, I've had – I should knock on wood here – I've had unusually good health. I haven't missed a game in 38 years. And in Atlanta, there were five years. I was doing about 220 games a year between baseball and basketball. Now, I haven't missed a game with the Yanks in the 30 years. So so I've been very fortunate. But um, it isn't like I like one or the other. When you're doing the game, you're doing the game. You know, this year, um, they, they gave me a little, they tossed a little rose my way and and they, I, I did a uh, a Nets game on TV, and it was like I had done it. And I hadn't stopped because that's part of me; it's inside of me. And um, uh, how about Islanders? It, it was. It was. It, it, do an it was. It was. At some point. I haven't done an island. I haven't done an Islanders game, but anyway, I'm just saying it was very easy for me, and and it was a lot of fun. And it, uh, once the game begins, boy, I do it. I may not like the packing and unpacking. I may not like with the Yankees, we don't get getaway day games. Um, so um, we get into uh, cities at four in the morning <laughs> and you're whipped and it screws up your system. But as far as the game is concerned, once the game starts, once I start talking, um, I love it. And I have a partner in Susan Waldman who loves it as much as I do. She just pours everything into it. And, um, you know, we have a very nice, uh, we have a very nice family with, uh, Jack Maldonado, our producer engineer and Rick Roush, who does all the backup for us. And, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. 
Is there any sport that you haven't done that you wish you might have wanted to, uh, to try or uh, that you also think you could have done well in, especially given the 70s and the 80s, right, which certainly the 70s was uh, almost a, a wellspring of, of uh, challenger leagues and and, and hell, we even, right. there doesn't seem to be any shortage of folks who want to create new sports or new leagues. But is there anything that you that eluded you that you might wanted to have done or tried or been? No, I, I don't think so. You know, I um, I played basketball all my life, and um, and then I ripped up a knee, and I, I really couldn't play anymore. It just it didn't come back, and so then I went full time at a tennis. So I, I guess I could have broadcast tennis in some way, but that's not a really exciting play-by-play. I think I've chosen the right sports. Uh, I have no interest in boxing, no interest in golf, no interest in horse racing. Uh, so I couldn't have done those sports because I didn't know them. No interest in soccer. So I believe, you know, I told Michael Kay, my buddy Michael Kay on his center stage program, that I've had as companions through my life And I mean, from the time I was, you know, when you start remembering things, seven, eight, you know, um, I've had sports and music as companions and I'm involved with sports and music every single day of my life. So I'm, you know, really extremely fortunate. You know, I have this ability. I focus on the things I like and I totally ignore the things I don't like. <laughs> so, so, um, um, you know, I've been able to, to combine my avocation and vocation and it's worked out. All right. So let's ask maybe one sort of, uh, uh foundational, uh, sort of ending question here, maybe, and you can maybe wax nostalgic or prophetic on it. Um, what, you, you know, you've obviously spent, uh, a, a lifetime in, in sports broadcasting and, and, and some of the most major and high profile purchases perches out there. Um, what is, so how would you describe the profession today through that lens of 40 plus years or so? Maybe, oh boy. Uh, better, worse, uh, things that you maybe wish hadn't changed and maybe things that have changed for the better. Um, you know, I know it's kind of an open-ended question, but you know, you've got a nice longitudinal uh, viewpoint from some of the, I quote unquote good old days to maybe even today's good old days. I I'm really curious. To hear well, I think I've mentioned it. I think I've mentioned it, and um, I hope I can um, put it into some kind of thought that people will latch on to. Um, in the '70s and '80s, gee, I don't know. This is going to be very tough. In the '70s, '60s, and '70s. Um, Baltimore, everybody knew everybody. Everyone who did something, all the athletes, all the broadcasters, all the writers, they all were making the same money, really in the 60s more. And it was like um, everyone was part of it. You played basketball together. You played golf together. You played tennis together. uh, You were in the same restaurants, et cetera. Anyway, and, and the 70s, I think, too. And the 80s, I, I think the broadcaster was much closer to his teams. Um, but as far as the difference in broadcasting, there's no difference. It's all communicating in your language to your listeners. And so uh, in that way, I don't. to me, nothing has changed. If, if you said to me, John, you, you've, you've done the Yankees 30 years, you mean nothing has changed? Well, it's changed. In that, when when Tory uh, Buck Showalter got very close to Susan and Michael and myself, and and it's still that way. And then a, a real buddy of mine came in to manage the Yankees, Joe Tory. Well, well, Joe Tory basically took me out to dinner every night on the road for twelve years, <laughs> so that was different. So that part's different. But as far as broadcasting, you know, broadcasting is broadcasting; it's communicating. And this, the English language to your to your listeners. I don't think that changes at all. All right. This will be my last question then, I promise. Um, so I'm wondering, too, you know, we, we are, we're recording this episode uh, the uh, the day of uh, the launch of yet another new professional football league, the Association of uh, sorry, the Alliance of American Football. Uh, the XFL is coming back in a new version next year. 
and there doesn't seem to be any shortage of new teams coming into established leagues like the Vegas Golden Knights and the new Seattle franchise in the NHL. And I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about uh, pro sports. And are we, you know, I'm wondering if if we're, if this is going to continue to grow and get bigger and bigger money and more teams and franchises, or are we maybe getting a little, I don't know, a little peak, shall we say, at uh, in in what maybe uh, the uh, the business of sports can can deliver to the to the audiences out there? I you know, with television and communications being quite different today, the you know, I, I'm wondering in your opinion if if we're you know nearing an, a peak of of pro sports saturation or or maybe we're still got many, many ways, uh, many uh, years and, and, and opportunities to go, uh, given where we've come from. Well, it has so much to do with television. Um, these new little leagues are there only because of television. As far as baseball, basketball, football, hockey, they're all here at the big leagues. They're all here to stay. Uh, they're going to do nothing but get bigger and better. The crowds are bigger and better. And... Um, the 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 football leagues you talk about, I don't think they'll amount to that much, but they'll stay as long as there's TV. As a matter of fact, you can say that about the big sports too, the big leagues. Uh, they'll only stay there if they retain their their ratings. You know, when when the ratings stop, that goes off TV. <laughs> so, but they it's so embedded. You know what I've gotten a huge kick out of. Um, one year the Yankees didn't make the playoffs and I watched the playoff games, all of them on TV. And not only were the places jammed and the people screaming from the first pitch to the last, but you could actually hear it through TV. And when you can hear a crowd through TV, radio is different. That's all you hear. But uh, I thought it was sensational. And, um, and no matter how much it gets knocked, and it does, of course, in the media. It doesn't really matter. The fans love it. And they love the idea of being part of it. It, it brings cities together. And um, I, I don't see any problems. Now, you know, if once I'm long gone, you know, 50 years from now, how do I know what's going to happen? But right now, um, they have no problems. Oh, they write about the problems. But as long as the fans are connected to the franchise, you know, Eddie Einhorn was a great leader in sports television. He's passed on and he was co-owner of the White Sox with the, with his buddy, Jerry Reinsdorf. And Eddie once told me, he said, you know, he said, the fans own the team. He said, hey, well, we're just the caretakers. It's the, it's the fans game. And it is without fans. Oh, they would still play the different sports but they'd have to lug their equipment, you know, into Central Park and play the ball game. Um, but this way, it's bigger than anyone ever thought it could be. Uh, I was just telling Susan that uh, that Anthony Davis, when he turned down the New Orleans Pelicans contract, the max contract, you know what the max contract was? It was $48 million a year. Unbelievable. <laughs> for, for five years. I would say unbelievable, yes. And they're not spending it if they're not making it. So they're making it. And, um, you know, I'm not giving you a very good answer, but sports, the, uh, the NBA, the NHL, MLB, and the NFL are here to stay. The fans love it. They have a great connection, an emotional connection. And uh, you see it when the, the stands are jammed. If it's zero degrees in Kansas City, they're, they're jammed. So... Um, you know, you have to work through problems. There are always really problems of everything in life. But um, for the foreseeable future, they're only going to get bigger and better. Well, John, I, look, I appreciate this. This is, uh, I, And I certainly appreciate you letting us drag you into some of your uh, earliest stops, uh, whether you care to remember them or not. Um, you know, you think... Oh, no, no. I remember. I, everyone remembers everything in their lives. Of course, I remember them and, and like them. I, I, I love those W. HA games in the garden before 5,000 people. Uh, I love the games at Downing Stadium, which is you know, a relic. <laughs> they shouldn't have played there. Um, uh, so not, not, uh, 
It's all fun. I, t- I take it down as all fun. Yeah, I guess there are tougher ways to make a living, right? Uh, and when you're having fun yeah. in the zone and you know what you want to do, which you obviously knew at a very early age, uh, it shows. And I think your longevity uh, and the pinnacle, you know, obviously being the Yankees broadcaster for such a long period of time uh, is proof of that. And um, look, I, I, I thank you for taking a few minutes to kind of let us uh, drag you back into that mm-hmm. past and uh, and celebrate your uh, your current and hopefully longtime future uh, with your current gig with the, with the Yankees. Uh, mazel tov. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I also hope it's a long time. Um, I have to get my kids through college first, and then we'll see. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope I've done a good job for you. And um, But I've enjoyed it very much. All right. Our thanks to the uh, the one, the only, John Sterling. And uh, we wish him a, a tremendous amount of success uh, in this upcoming season with the New York Yankees uh, broadcasting, uh, I don't know, a zillionth uh, season. Uh, and uh, the Yankees always uh, always seem to be in contention. And uh, it's just not summer without uh, John Sterling calling uh, Yankee games. And you can hear him, of course, in the New York metropolitan area uh, on the Yes Network. And uh, uh, and uh, we uh, want again, uh, once again, thank uh, Upton Bell uh, for uh, connecting us to uh, the great uh, and legendary John Sterling. We also want to thank uh, uh, our pal Richie Franklin uh, for the clip that you heard there. That was the uh, uh, the first uh, touchdown, home uh, touchdown of the New York Stars of the WFL. That clip is uh, courtesy of Richie, and you can find out uh, he's, he's probably the number one World Football League fan that you're going to find out there. He's got a whole host of sites out there, but uh, you can check out all of his amazing collection of stuff at uh, charlottehornetswfl.com. Uh, he calls that the Char- Charlotte Hornets Football Network, and of course, that's where the New York Stars uh, ultimately went, courtesy of, uh, of uh, Upton Bell uh, transferring that New York Stars franchise mid-season. Hard to believe. Uh, down to Charlotte. Again, that's charlottehornetswfl.com. Uh, there's also, he's got a, the worldfootballleague.org website and, and a bunch of others. Uh, and uh, we thank Richie for uh, allowing us to use that clip from his site with his permission. Uh, and uh, let's see, that other clip you also heard too, uh, the Enterprise radio clip, uh, that was uh, that was off of YouTube somewhere. I don't know who recorded it, but uh, that came from... Uh, a broadcast on uh, September 21st, 1981. Uh, and uh, that, again, was the old Enterprise Radio Network. And I think in New York, it was the old WWRL uh, AM 1600, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe where that uh, that clip came from. All right. So uh, we want to thank you, of course, for listening. Uh, please, by all means, give us a check out at uh, on our social media sites. You can find us at uh, Good Seats still on twitter that's at good seats still you'll find us on instagram at good seats still available you will find us at uh, on facebook we've got a page devoted to us there by all means check us out and of course on our website good seats still available.com that's the locus for everything related to the show you search up uh, this episode with john sterling or the um, 100 plus episodes now of other stuff and other people that we've talked to and plenty more to come uh, you want to send us an email? Go ahead. Uh, you can click off the website there, or you can send it to us directly at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Uh, of course, you go to the website. You can sign up for our email newsletter. You'll find us there uh, for our little weekly uh, tidbits on uh, what's up and uh, coming up your way. And um, geez, what else? Oh, let's thank uh, our friend Jerry Payne, the good doctor uh, at Podfly Productions. Uh, he, of course, our uh, producer and editor extraordinaire. And you can find out about more about uh, Podfly and their services at podfly.net. All right. Thank you tremendously for listening. Uh, until then, uh, we uh, we wish you a fond adieu, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can't appreciate it enough. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Now, like it or not, you'll be learning who's good with a bat but can't throw. And similar junk he must keep in a trunk for the John Sterling Show. And once he adopts a position, he won't vacillate to and fro. No matter how wrong he may be all along, 
on the John Sterling Show. Give it a rest. Yes, the John Sterling Show. Yeah. <laughs>